Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A view of all saints from on high. If you were to go to the Basilica of Santa Croce, the Holy Cross, in Florence, Italy, this is what you could receive. A view of all saints from on high. Because the ancient cathedral has on its walls, on its ceiling, it's festooned with frescoes. All of these beautiful paintings of saints, those who have gone before us, those who are, are with the Lord in heaven, those who are in the Bible and throughout uh, the history of the church. In fact, the pastor of the church, he calls it medieval PowerPoint. <laughs> so you look and see all of those images. But until recently, it was like looking in a glass darkly. The years had taken their toll on the paintings, and so it was hard to make out the details. You could see kind of the, the outline of them, but you couldn't make it much more clear than that. You could tell that there were some saints up there and that they seemed to be happy in the presence of the Lord, but more than that, not much. In the last few years, though, there's been a, a reconstructive effort on those paintings, on those frescoes. There's been a scaffolding about, scaffolding about 100 feet up high, up to the top of there. And so just like if you picture Michelangelo on his back painting the Sistine Chapel, that's what they've been doing in order to restore those frescoes, in order to, to bring back those paintings to their glory. And for those who are especially brave, you are allowed for a time to go up on that scaffolding and to see those frescoes up close. Dave's laughing. He's like, are you going to offer the same thing when you're painting the church in here, Dave? No, he's not. Okay. Liability and all that. What we get in our, from our reading today from St. John, the vision that he had, is something similar. See, John pulls back the curtain on heaven, and he gives to us a view of all saints from on high. He ushers us like VIPs into God's throne room so that you and I are able to get a glimpse of the life of the eternal redeemed, see their joyous presence already with the Savior. And not only that, as we look at them, we see a reflection on us. The way that they are gathered around the Lamb and His throne tells us not only about the saints in heaven, but it also tells us about the saints on earth, about our status as God's redeemed in this life. And so this morning, I want to focus in on really just one verse even from our epistle reading, verse 9, if you want to look at there, and three characteristics describing the saints in heaven, that they are standing before the throne, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, each of these little details tells us something profound about God's people, both those who are already with him and you and I still here on earth. So the first thing that stands out about this unnumbered multitude of saints is their posture. St. John tells us that they are standing before the throne and before the Lamb. But what does your posture have to say about your standing before God Almighty. Well, in fact, it has to say a lot. See, throughout the scriptures, standing suggests sufficiency. Standing suggests sufficiency. If you have standing, if you are able to stand, it says that you have enough. You are enough. But this is also why the scriptures so often speak of those who are unable to stand in God's presence. In fact, right before our reading in Revelation, in chapter 6 of Revelation, there's this 
uh, plaintive rhetorical question from John. He says, the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The assumed answer is, of course, nobody. And the words from Psalm 130, which we already recited as part of our liturgy of confession. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could, what? Stand. We are insufficient in ourselves in order to stand before the throne of God above. We don't have it. We don't have what it takes. We don't have the, the spiritual resources. Each and every one of us, we are, well, we're poor in spirit. But it's precisely as those who are poor in spirit that now you have received the blessing of the Savior. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. We see those saints gathered around the throne standing, not in their own sufficiency, but in the sufficiency, the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ, of that lamb, what he did for them, and what he has done for you. That now because of his forgiving love, you are able to stand in the Savior's presence. Romans 14 says this, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand, is able to make you stand. Incidentally, the Greek literally says, is able to stand him, which has a little bit of a different meaning, right? But sometimes that's true too. He can stand you and he makes you stand. And not only that, in Christ, we are are with our Lord who is ever and always standing before the throne of God for you and me, interceding on our behalf. Before the throne of God above, we have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for you and me, because he stands before the Father for us. You have standing before him. You are sufficient in Jesus. But we learn even more about these saints who are in heaven. And the second thing I want to draw your attention to has to do with laundry. So... Uh, when our, my, our boys were young, they got these really cool Michigan State basketball jerseys. They looked so sharp. There was only one problem. They got the white ones. <laughs> it was dazzlingly white for like 10 minutes, right? But you know, when you get clothes like that, no sooner do they get dirty than you are never ever going to be able to restore them to how they were at the beginning, right? Doesn't matter how many times you do the laundry, once they get dirty, that's kind of it. They're tainted. And when it comes to our, our moral record, Scripture says it can be the same way. James 2.10 tells us that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Just the littlest bit of dirt soils the whole thing. And the prophet Isaiah, he goes even further. He says, we all have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. You catch that? Even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Which makes it all all the more remarkable, this second feature that we see the saints, because St. John tells us that he sees them not only standing before the throne, but the second thing that stands out for him in this vision is the clothing. He tells us that these saints are clothed in white robes. They're clothed in white robes, dazzlingly white. How could that possibly be? 
Well, the angel goes on to tell John, because these are the ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's the same word that's used in the transfiguration to describe the white robe, the dazzlingly white gown that we see a Christ Jesus wearing in that vision of his glory. Now you and I share that glory as the saints do in heaven, clothed in that white robe, clothed cleaner, cleaner and whiter than your mom could ever do, right? God bless her, right? No earthly Clorox could possibly do it, but instead the Clorox of Christ's blood, paradoxically, has made you and I white. You were clothed in the perfect spotless garment of Christ when you were baptized. When you were baptized, those garments of his righteousness clothed you. And earlier this week, many of you attended our our funeral and will planning workshop. And one of the things we talked about was there's a, a custom when the deceased is brought into the church, whether in a casket or in an urn, we have what's called a baptismal pall. The baptismal pall is this beautiful white garment. It's actually not unlike the the chasuble that I'm wearing today. And it goes over the casket. And what's significant about this is whether you come in a cardboard box or the fanciest casket you can imagine, whether you come as the world's worst sinner or as one who lived a, a perfect life as far as the world is concerned, what makes you white, what makes you holy is the righteousness of Christ that covers over you. It's a marvelous symbol. But this is what you have in Jesus. There's an old hymn that says, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. We see it with those saints in heaven. But that same beauty is yours now, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Okay, one last feature I want to draw your attention to that that John notices in his vision. We see these saints from on high. They're standing before the throne. They're clothed in white robes. And then what do they have in their hands? He says they have palm branches in their hands. They're waving palm branches. Now, does this tell us that in heaven, the whole time that we're there, it's just like a Palm Sunday service. And we're just doing endless processionals around the throne. No, I'm happy to tell you no. That's not what that means. We need to go back even deeper into the history of God's people and into the scriptures. Think about why did they have palm branches then? What were the purpose of the palm branches? And it has to do with the Jewish festival of Sukkot, the festival of booths. And if you're familiar with your Jewish calendar, you may know that this was celebrated just a few weeks ago, in fact, each and every year in the fall. What does this harvest celebration commemorate? Well, it commemorates the time when God led his people as they were wandering through the wilderness. Excuse me. As they were wandering through the wilderness and he provided for them. He cared for them all the way, leading them into the promised land. And so the Jewish festival of Sukkot, which means booths, is a reminder of that provision for God. And so the the feature that you might know of the Feast of Booths is that people would make booths. And these booths would be covered with, with natural elements and in particular with palm branches. And so these palm branches were associated with and became indicative of God's harvest and how he had brought his people through the wilderness and having done so, how it became a place and time of rest. And so to see the saints in heaven gathered around the throne, standing clothed in white with palm branches in their hands, it tells us that there, in the presence of the Almighty, now harvest time has come. They have been gathered in to their harvest home with the Savior. And not only that, they have been given the victory. They are in that promised land. And not only that, 
but they're able to rest and to rest in peace in the presence of the Savior. That rest is ours in Christ Jesus now, even as we look forward to that day when we will rest alongside the other saints and celebrate and give praise to God forevermore. I want to take you back one more time to that basilica in Florence. And if you were especially brave and you were to go up on that high scaffolding, not only would you get a wonderful view of the saints in heaven, but if you were especially brave and you could look down, just imagine, if you were to look down from way up there, you would see something remarkable. See, inlaid in the floor of that basilica are rectangles. It's the tombs of countless saints who went before us, but they're not the, the holy people that we think of. Instead, it's people like Michelangelo, not the Ninja Turtle, but the painter guy, and Dante, even Galileo. Each and every one of these guys, though to varying degrees they had a strained relationship with the church, they were all of them believing Christians. But what's interesting is none of them are, are holy people in the way that we typically think of the term. None of them were pastors or priests. None of them were monks. Instead, they were lay people who excelled at their vocations to the glory of God. And to me, that's a marvelous picture of what you and I have too, because we also are everyday saints. Saints who strive to do our work well, to carry out our vocations to the glory of God, whatever you might be in, whatever station and walk of life you might be. You too are a saint. And when the Savior looks down from on high at you and me, he sees you through the purifying blood of Christ Jesus so that he, he looks at you and says, that's my saint, that's my saint, that's my saint. Whatever you might do, whether you're sharing the gospel or changing diapers, you are holy, you are saintly. And when we gather together around this altar, we are joined together as one with those saints who have gone before us. See, we might see those saints on high and it seems so separated from us, but the fact of the matter is, you're joined with them. And as we sing our alleluias, our sanctus, our holy, 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 we're joined together with those saints who have gone before us and who are with us. And we, as we receive and partake in this foretaste of the feast to come. And yet still, a more glorious day will break. When on that day, when our Lord Jesus comes again, you and I will no longer see as in a glass dimly, but you will see face to face. See your loved ones who have gone before you, but see your Savior as well. And when he stoops down to you and me, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand as now we continue with the commemoration of the faithful departed.